we're back to the Neil Haley show. And you know, when I'm talking about this guest, I'm talking about, you know, I interview all these major celebrities, but when I think about pit football, it's, I think about one guy, especially his great career and I'm rooting him on all the time. Tyler Palco, former NFL player and pit star Tyler. Thanks for stopping by. How are you, man? Neil, great. great. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's awesome. I, I definitely, uh, I'm going to be underwhelming if you're interviewing top celebrities. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, from Brett Favre to, you know, anybody you can name that you've watched the show or a different thing. But again, I get more excited about Pitt. Why? Because I'm a Pittsburgh guy. My mom went to Pitt and I grew up season ticket holder for football and basketball for years. And it just, it's just something about Pitt. But we know all your story and kind of just jumping back. I know it a lot when it comes to, you know, Pittsburgh, your dad, a football coach. It's just from the beginning, you probably had your mind you're going to go to Pitt, right? Yeah, I wish I wish I could say that, um, you know, my, I, I was fortunate enough to have, um, you know, the recruiting process start a little earlier. Um, you know, my, my freshman year, I think I had, you know, probably eight or 10 offers, um, you know, because we played on a really good team. And and um, and so that, that process started a little early for me. But, um, you know, it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I kind of figured out, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be part of uh, rebuilding uh, my, one of, you know, my hometown team, um, I met coach Harris and, and he was the, the kind of quarterback guru at that time. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to be part of, of bringing kind of the, the, the lore and the luster back to, to pit. So when I, when I committed, it was kind of, you know, after a, um, a day on campus at the pit quarterback, uh, receiver camp. And I woke up one morning and just kind of said, this is, this is where I need to be. So, um, glad it was a great decision for me. And, and, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to kind of get it all the way back, but, uh, it's fun to see them on top, uh, again, um, with, with Kenny and, and, um, and coach do. So, um, you know, everything works, works out. So let's kind of, let's, uh, this is just such an interesting story in, in so many ways that, you know, Walt bringing back the program and all these different things where you were recruited, highly recruited by so many more schools than just Pitt, right. And just choosing Pitt. You're glad you did. It was a great decision, but who else was recruiting you? I think at the time, my dad and I got it. I think we got it down to probably, I don't know, seven or eight schools. So it was Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, LSU, Florida State. Um, I think Oklahoma might have been in the mix, USC. Um, but I think at that time, you know, before all this social media stuff, you know, they, they went through the, you know, the quote unquote, you know, um, college football ranking uh, magazine of, of like, you know, where you're at. And, and at that point in time, I was, was a, was a, I guess, highly ranked quarterback, but I wasn't, was an athlete and I played free safety and was, was an all state free safety. So there was a couple of schools that, that, um, you know, wanted me to play free safety and, and, a you know, funny story, you know, coach, coach Saban, um, you know, recruited me at Michigan state and then at LSU and, and he would always, tell my dad, um, you know, this kid could play free safety. And I had had, you know, a bunch of coaches tell me, well, you know, like, I just don't know if you can play quarterback. And and when you're an 18 year old kid, 17 year old kid, you're, you know, someone tells you you can't do something, you're a hard head and you want to do it. But I asked coach Saban after that, um, you know, why, you know, why he thought that I was a better free safety. And he right. <laughs> said, after every interception, you made the tackle. Um, so, so it was kind of a, 
backhand a compliment, but yeah, I think th- those were the final schools. I can't remember offhand, but, but I committed before my senior year. So I didn't take any official visits. Um, I didn't want to be a distraction to my team going into that year. We, you know, we had lost in the state championship game the previous two years. So I just wanted to get a decision off the table, not be a distraction and, and go finish the business and win in the state title of my senior year. Playing with your father. That's got, that's gotta be great. Right. In so many ways. Yep. Um, was fortunate enough to, to play for a legendary coach and, you know, he just happened to be my dad. So there were some, uh, there were some dinner conversations that were uh, less than, than um, ideal. Uh, but um, it was awesome, you know, playing for him, uh, looking back at and having four kids of my own, um, you know, knowing how special that is now being a father for, for him and for me. Um, but, you know, as a coach, I still call him coach Pelk when I see him. So um, he's, he made a huge impact in my life, uh, as a player and as a man and, and, and obviously as a dad. So, um, he's impacted a lot of kids, um, over the, the 30 plus years he's been coaching. So I just feel fortunate that I had, uh, him as a coach and a dad. So it was cool. All right. Fondest memories of, uh, you know, playing at Pitt, what would you say? Um, you know, I, I get that question asked a lot. I mean, obviously, I think that the you know five touchdown game against Notre Dame gets gets you know a lot of a lot of hype, um, especially with the uh, post game uh, snafu that happened. But um, my my biggest memory at Pitt, the turning point in my career, was the Nebraska game uh, at Heinz Field when I got benched uh, for a series. It kind of you know got me to open up my eyes and realize, hey you know, just go out and play football like you've done your whole entire life. Um, so that was probably the biggest turning point, my career, uh, my football career. Uh, and that just happened to be a pit, but we had some really cool, um, cool moments to, you know, beating Notre Dame at Notre Dame, um, you know, winning the big East and playing in a BCS game for the first time. And, uh, since I think since Danny left, um, in the, with a sugar bowl, but, uh, there were some really, really good memories. I just, was was telling you before we hopped on. I just was was sad we couldn't we couldn't um, you know finish the job. Now, Walt got fired um, by uh, an athletic director who I um, was was not happy with, um, and, and kind of screwed up uh, that that momentum that we had. But um, you know, it was it was it was a good five years. I, I uh, don't regret anything about it. It was it was super fun, and um, you know, glad to be a part of uh, of the pit pit lore and in the history of, of that uh, traditional tradition risk program. Thinking back to teammates of yours and just to the experiences at Pitt, was that something that's, you know, cause we're going to get to the NFL next because a lot of people don't know the backstory in your NFL career, you know, because they, you were a backup, but you got yeah. a lot of opportunity and had a lot of success, meaning not many people get the opportunity to play in the NFL bottom line. That's the, the bottom line, but tell me, you know, specifically, you know, some of your teammates you played with and how you stayed connected with them throughout, you know, college or the, in the NFL college, college. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my, you know, best friend, college roommate was Larry Fitzgerald. So, I mean, I don't think that, that, you know, that, that kind of um, that name kind of, uh, yes. you know, speaks for itself. He'll be a first bell hall of famer, but he's, he's a guy that, that um, I'm, I still stay close with. He's a godfather of my youngest daughter and oh, wow. um, was in my wedding and, and, um, you know, just a good human being, great man. Um, and, and to be around greatness like that, um, at, at an early age, you know, I think a lot of times you can, you hear people say, you just knew he was different and, and he's no, he's no different in that statement. I mean, he, he dropped one ball 
uh, in practice in two years, one. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and what I'm talking about, you know, warmups and, and pat and go. And I mean, the, the guy just had an unbelievable set of hands, um, you know, so, so, you know, Larry's probably the most prominent, but we played with a lot of, a lot of good players that, that had a chance to, um, you know, take the step, the next step to the NFL, some all Americans, HB blades, Scott McKillop, um, Gerald Hayes, um, you know, Rod Rutherford, you know, played in the NFL was, was, I backed him up early on in my career. So we play with a lot of uh, Rob Petiti, um, a lot of really good players that, that I still stay in contact with. And now that we're, you know, old and washed up and, Moving on, we're dads. Oh, don't say you're old because I remember watching when I was watching you play. You know what I mean? It's I a relative term. It's football but, years, right? Yeah, it's kind of like I know, I know, I know, I know. But yeah, those guys. It's fun to see them, you know, becoming dads and husbands, and and uh, you know, you know, businessmen and coaches, and that that's the fun part for me to to stay connected to see you know what they were like in college and and trying to figure it out, and and now you know productive members of society and. And doing some great things so it's it was that's the thing that i missed the most the locker room it's it's uh it's a constant search to try to find that uh that little fix that um you had as a as a teammate in the locker room yeah so that so that that experience in the nfl comes because you had a great experience brought pit football to a certain level that is beyond belief nfl time comes did you think you were going to play in the nfl did you have a hopes of the nfl what was your like mindset you know because had a really great career in college, but you understand the whole process of what they sure they talk, talked about other positions for you and stuff, Tyler, and the same thing, you know, making that decision, the step to the NFL. Did you think you'd have a career or what were your thoughts during college, especially at certain times? Yeah. I mean, I, my, my sophomore year was a really good year. I was, I think that that next year I was on a Heisman watch list. And again, that stuff's all, you know, BS when it comes down to rankings, but I knew that I was going to have a chance to, to, to play, you know, where I got drafted and all that other stuff was based off of things that were outside of my control. Um, but I knew um, I was going to have a chance to do it. Uh, Matt Cavanaugh, who came in after they fired Walt with, with coach Wanstatt, you know, helped really kind of turn me into a, a professional quarterback in the way that, that I, you know, approached the game. Um, and then I got invited to the senior bowl. Um, and so I knew that it was, it was, you know, it was something in the, in the cards for me. And then, you know, um, just, I didn't get drafted. I was a free agent and, and ended up going to, uh, to New Orleans, um, and backing up Drew, uh, with, with Sean Payton, which was, a, I don't think I could have gone to a better place to, to learn how to be a professional quarterback behind, you know, Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton. So, um, you know, it was, you know, it, it's not a mat, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, and I was able to, to kind of fight and scrap and claw and, and, and last a couple of years, you know, living out my, my childhood dream and, um, you know, got a chance to start a couple of games uh, in the NFL as a starting quarterback with, with the chiefs. And, um, but the majority of my time was, was uh, carrying a clipboard and patting guys on the ass when they came off the field. So it was, it was fun. Yeah. But see that that's the best job, right? Some people say the next best job. <laughs> no, I don't care what. <laughs> that's not true. You'd rather start. I, I understand. I no, I'm just saying, but the experience which you learn from this experience, getting to play, let's talk about, you know, getting to play with Drew Brees and have, you know, in that, what did you learn from Drew? I mean, I'm sure these, these certain people were great role models for you in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I got a chance to back up some really good players. I mean, Drew, uh, Kurt Warner in Arizona, Ben in, in Pittsburgh, uh, Matt Castle in 
uh, Kansas City. I mean, he learned from Tom Brady. So, um, you know, Drew, Drew just, I mean, taught you how to be a pro. I mean, I got a chance to ride with him to work. Um, you know, I, I lived with him for a couple of weeks, um, you know, in between minicamp and OTAs and all that stuff. So, I mean, just to see how he approaches the game as a professional, he was the first guy that I heard say, I got to go to work, um, you know, and, and he was going to practice. And so, I mean, just, Hey, it, it, it's work. I, I, you know, this is my craft. This is how I make my money. And, 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 um, you know, how he approached watching tape and, and taking care of his body and, and, and being a good husband. I mean, he was a great role model for me in that respect to, to be a rookie, you know, a young guy in the NFL to see how it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have, you know, an easy pathway there either. So it was, it was cool to see, um, you know, my first couple of years in the NFL, how to do it the right way. So Drew was, was a great role model. He's a great man, great dad, great husband, um, you know, stay in contact with him every once in a while. Uh, but, but, I, like I said, couldn't, couldn't have asked to go to a better place. And, and Sean Payton, um, just, you know, the genius he is as an offensive mind. I know I, th- I thought I knew a lot about football growing up around it. And I did, I, I did, but you know, those two years in New Orleans were, you know, I learned more football in two years there than I did, you know, my whole entire life. So it was uh, it was a great experience. Wow. Okay. And so you, your last stop, and we're going to get to life after football because it's always interesting to me in a short time we have, because I would love to chat with you again, Tyler, because again, just s- tremendous guy. You're very, very humble in so many ways for the accolades you had in your college career to get to play in the NFL and what you've learned from these specific great players that you are able to play under and, and play with. Uh, you ended up in Kansas City and that ended up being where your home is now. Tell me specifically enough, the experience in Kansas City made that happen? Kind of tell us a little bit of that story and then we'll talk about life after football. So you, Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I, um, were they your last team? You played yeah, the Chiefs were, yeah. I brought uh, Todd Haley. Um, I was with him in, in Arizona and, you know, when he got the job, I, I had a chance to compete for, for a backup role there and, and came in and, and did my first year and then, the second year I was there, um, you know, stayed on and, and, and was the primary backup to, to Matt. Um, so Todd gave me an opportunity to, to live out my dream. And Matt got hurt, you know, at the end of the season and broke his, his wrist or his hand. And I remember where I was at when Todd called me and said, hey, kid, it's it's your time. You got the keys. And um, and so I think I started five or six games um, that that year. And um, Kansas, I ended up meeting my wife and, and, or, you know, who my, my wife is now, uh, we have four kids and she's born and raised in Kansas city. So I've, I've been here since, you know, 2012, I think 2013, um, raising our family out here in Kansas city, but yeah, it was Kansas city always be a special place, right? I mean, it's the first time I got a chance to, to say that I was a starting quarterback in the NFL and, um, it's where, where home is now. So it was, was a cool experience. Um, and you know, that's kind of where, where life has taken me. So life after football, why the decision to retire and jump plans of what you wanted to do? Well, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but you know, the, the whole word retire like that in, in football terms, that just means, you know, for most of us that no one wants you anymore. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a relative term when you say retire, um, forced retirement, maybe, but, um, Chuck Knoll said it the best, you know, football is a, a small part of your life and, um, you know, you're going to spend, you know, the vast majority of your life after football, um, you know, achieving your life's work. And, and I, 
when I was done, I, I, you know, did a couple of things in the NFL with some, some internships in the off season that they were so graciously, you know, they're readily available to you. Um, but, but ultimately finalized on, you know, getting into the business world in um, with a company called solutions 21 that, our founder, Buddy Hobart, uh, who's a Pittsburgh guy, CMU guy from Homestead, um, started in 1994. And, um, you know, long story short, we figured out that we had a lot of commonality between what we wanted to do. And we're a, a human capital development firm. So essentially, we're the strength coach in football terms for companies uh, developing their existing and future leaders um, for, the, for their organization. So I figured that um, instead of getting fired after a bad season and having to move to a new city that, uh, I can control my outcomes a little bit better in the, in the, uh, the business world. And, and, um, you know, we're, we're growing it and, and, um, doing some really cool things at solutions 21. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, that's, that's what we're doing now. So what is ultimately, so that entrepreneurship mindset and all that, did you have that growing up? Do you ever think sports brings to it? I, I, I've always been inquisitive about business. You know, I was playing golf in the off season with these, you know, presidents and CEOs of companies and I was a NFL quarterback. So I could have, you know, I can ask questions that, you know, business peers couldn't, right. I was, well, how do you guys, you know, build your business? How do you compete? Like, how do you beat your rivals? And I was just inquisitive at that point in my life and figured out they didn't really have like a very formalized plan, right? Like in the NFL, you, 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 you know, it's your, your nutrition and your, your, your weight room and film study. And that's how you develop into a really good player. And, you know, I just, I felt in the business world, there was no real predictable way to develop talent. Um, and I was like, man, this is, I want to start my own company. And that led me to meet Buddy Hobart, who's the founder of our company through mutual friends. And we just had lunch out in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was going to just kind of help me start my own gig. But you know, a couple of bottles of wine later, we figured out um, that it would probably be best to, you know, build onto a house that's already built and existing than build your own house. And, um, you know, 10 years later, here I am. And yet here you are. Where do you want to see Solutions 21 go? What is the ultimate goal? Yeah, ultimately, we want to be um, the firm of choice that organizations look to develop world-class performers. We're, um, we're the best in the business right now, um, and we believe that internally. But uh, just like any other brand that you build, you have to get other people to believe it. And we're doing a hell of a job right now with our team to, to show that, that you know, the, the talent that we have on our team and the products that we have, um, no one can really compete with. So we're, we're grinding away and, and growing like crazy. And uh, ultimately, we'll, um, you know, we want our brand associated with world-class performers and any organization that, you know, wants to develop those types of people are going to, going to reach out to us. So that's, that's what we want to do. So where do you see that? So kind of give me the specifics, like, uh, what industries are you focused mostly upon on? Is there a specific area? You're yeah. So on? primarily we're in like the privately held mid-market sector, um, when we started, but we have, you know, if you were to audit our company, we're in basically four or five industries, construction, manufacturing, banking, insurance, and then medical. So, um, you know, any business that's associated with it, whether it's an insurance broker that has 250 people or a bank that's a publicly traded bank that has, you know, 20,000 employees, they all are still fighting the same fight with, I can't find enough talent, I can't keep enough talent, and I can't develop enough talent um with the 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 environment that 
that we're in, involved in in business right now. That that has two big variables: this post-COVID um, environment, the remote work, uh, hybrid approach to work, remote management, and then the massive amount of baby boomers that are exiting the workforce. Ten thousand baby boomers turn sixty-five a day um, until the end of this decade. So there's a bunch of people that have built, you know, this this you know, business environment that are marching toward retirement or have already have one foot out the door and organizations from a sports standpoint, haven't built their bench strong enough to be able to sustain that. So that's kind of where we fit. So do you think Tyler, it's the, the fact is it's the, the talent pool is low because of the baby boomers getting out and then remote work and other people create looking at entrepreneurship and not enough talent developed not yeah, numbers. I think it's it's a couple of things. It's 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 numbers. There's not enough Gen Xers and baby, um, not enough Gen Xers to replace baby boomers. There's a 18 person million person gap between baby boomers and Gen Xers, and then you know there's a massive amount of of millennials, Gen Y, 84 million that are you know my age, right, 1980 to 2000, born that are, that are in the prime of their career. And um, organizations have traditionally kind of done the bide your time, you know, wait behind a person in line, climb the corporate ladder. And that's just not the environment that, that businesses are operating now. Competition, speed, um, uh, and, and, and talent retention are just, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they look different now. So people are going to have to start adjusting their strategy on how they acquire talent, develop talent and keep talent, uh, retain it. And, and we've kind of written the book on how to do that in the 21st century. Uh, Buddy Hobart, our founder has written five or six books on this topic. And, um, you know, we're, we're kind of the pioneers in, in, um, in this space. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty Very cool. interesting because that's the thing, the getting people to work, keeping your employees there, having them be satisfied. And so from your, your company's perspective, you're really looking at looking inside that company and how they're developing training and, and, uh, and trying to retain talent. Is that Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a different strategy, right? So you think about it from a football standpoint, you know, um, um, you know, the Bill Belichick has had to adapt his philosophy over the 30 plus years he's been coaching in the NFL. And, you know, the way that he coached in 1995 is drastically different than the way he coaches now. Same thing. There's some things that hold true, right? Discipline, you know, the right culture fit, but you know, the players have changed. So you're going to have to adapt how you coach them, adapt, how you recruit them, adapt, how you develop them. You know, you don't have three day practices anymore. You have maybe one a day and then you don't have the same, you know, rules of the game. You right. can't hit the way you used to. So business is no different. And you just, the rules have changed to the game. The rules have changed. And if you don't play by the rules that the game requires now, you know, you're going to be behind the eight ball. And that's just the way that we've looked at it. It's not that people won't work. It's that you have to find people, you have to get them, you know, bought into what you're doing. You have to, you know, get them, you know, under a microscope of how do you develop them? How do you make it, how do you make it productive for them to help you rather than, hey, you should just be thankful to have a job. It's just old school versus new school. And it doesn't mean old school is bad and new school is good. It just means that the rules have changed and you need to adapt to the rules that, that 
you know, the environment requires. So we've, we've done an unbelievable job of, of figuring out how to help organizations do that and, and develop their bench of talent to go win ball games. And that's, so you also you know, are in the, the process of finding right talent for the company as well. It's yeah, it's, we're not, we're not headhunters, but we, we've, we've helped uh, organizations develop the strategy to not be so dependent on old school ways of finding talent. So it's, it's just, it's different, right? So again, if you relate it back to sports, right? You know, you don't need, like YouTube has been able to show highlight reels of people, what they can do, but that, that, that talent on that highlight reel doesn't tell the whole story. So it's just, it's different, right? On how you recruit talent. I see. So you work with the organization and their human resources to find the right talent, but not do it. You're not headhunting. You're more saying, this is what's going to be the best piece for that company to fit the right place. This is where you're here's certain. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's the type of players that you need to recruit based off of what you told me. And then once they get into the organization, we develop them, right? We're the strength coach. We help develop, you know, the raw skills to develop them into future managers and future leaders and future executives within that organization. So we're the, we're the strength coach of that organization um, and then help them figure out the strategy of what kind of players do we recruit? What type of offense do we run, right? What type of defense do we run? And then what type of players do you need to develop or to recruit so we can make them into, uh, productive players on the field. It's no, I, everything I learned in this business, I learned by the time I was 18, it's just now adapting it into the vernacular of, of the business world. All right. So best place we can find information on you and solutions 21, where can we go? Yeah, I appreciate that, Neil. It's just solutions 21.com. Um, you know, we're a, we're a, um, a, a, na- a national company headquartered in Pittsburgh. We have offices in Kansas city and Phoenix, uh, Tampa, Jacksonville, and Nashville. Um, but yeah, solutions21.com um, and then all the uh, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other handles are just solutions21. So uh, appreciate the opportunity for that shout out. And reaching out you, they can reach out to you on LinkedIn if they want. Yeah, LinkedIn or, you know, it's just tpelco at solutions21.com. I've had the same cell phone number since I was 18. So it's, it's uh, if, if you've had my cell phone, it, it's, uh, it hasn't changed. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, bud. All right, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be about strategies with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, how are you? What's going on? And uh, you've been talking about this guy a lot in our podcasts, and now I finally get to meet him. Well, I've known Tom. I don't know if he's known me for many years, but I've known him for about eight years now. Tom is uh, nationally uh, produced nationally known books, uh, speaker on PBS. Uh, his, his information has taught him and me by the uh, PhDs in retirement, Dr. Moshe Molesky, Dr. Robert Babel, Dr. Robert Merton. It's all based on scientific, economic, and mathematical facts. And the way Tom puts things together and explains things to people, especially when it comes to retirement about guaranteed income, it is phenomenal, and it changes people's lives. Tom could show you how to set up the optimal retirement. There's no such thing as a best retirement, but the optimal retirement for people. And I've learned so much from Tom. And I'm very excited to have you, Tom, on, on my podcast today. Well, thank you, Alan. It's good to be here. Tom, let me ask you a question. What is the, the main thing that, that people don't understand? They're they're scared to death of annuities. What do you, what did you Well, what do you, I, I 
I think when it comes to retirement, people, you know, think it's about their assets. How much money do they have? Do I have a million, two million? How is it much of my 401k? And what I tell people is it's not your assets in retirement. It's all about two things. If you can answer these two questions, it's going to determine the ultimate success of retirement. Number one, how much guaranteed lifetime income do you have? And number two, have you taken the key retirement risks off the table? That's what's important. And, you know, as far as guaranteed lifetime income, what the research shows of the leading PhDs in the world is that you should figure out how much do you need to cover your basic living expenses, your food, your housing, your clothing, your cell phone, you know, all, any of your normal retirement expenses should be covered by guaranteed lifetime income. And it's not in my opinion. That's what the math and science shows. Now, there are three sources of guaranteed lifetime income. The first is Social Security. Well, why does it count? Because it's a lifetime income annuity. It's a guaranteed paycheck for life. So it counts. The second source is a pension. Why does the pension count? Because it's a lifetime income annuity. It's a guaranteed paycheck for life. You take your basic living expenses, subtract out your social security, subtract out any pensions, whatever's left over, that's the minimum that should go into some type of guaranteed lifetime income annuity. Now, when you, when you say, why do people hate annuities? People who know annuities don't hate annuities. There's people who don't know annuities that hate annuities. And they say, oh, the fees are too high. Well, they don't realize that most annuities are not even fee products. A single premium immediate annuity is not a fee product. If you're guaranteed 2000 bucks a month for us of life, that's exactly what you're going to get. A deferred income annuity is not a fee product. Uh, a fixed annuity is not a fee product. A base fixed indexed annuity is not a fee product. Most RILAs, registered index linked annuities, are not fee products. There's really only two types of annuities that even have fees. Variable annuities have fees and some optional riders. But if you don't want to pay fees, the vast majority of annuities are not even fee products. And I, I, I wish more people knew that. I own 11 annuities. I don't sell any annuities. I own 11 of them. We'll probably have. Oh, and, and by the way, Dr. David Babel in the movie, The Baby Boomer Dilemma, disclosed that he owned 14 annuities. Now, here, here you got people who've been studying this stuff that own them. We don't sell them, but we buy them. See, yeah, I'm, showing, I'm showing that movie and, and getting a lot of leads from that. People say, oh, I had no idea. And it's just like... Uh, I, I know you know of uh, Ken Fisher, Fisher Investments. They always, I hate all the news that shows you something right. my favorite report. Well, it's a bunch of crap. Uh, well, I wrote an article, why Ken Fisher really loves annuities and so should you. So you can Google that. If you Google why Ken Fisher loves annuities, my article pop up. Plus, I just learned this today. I am speaking at the same meeting as Ken Fisher next week. So on the 13th, on the month for accredited investors, Ken Fisher, Tom Hagna, Louis Navalier. So, I mean, it, it's going to be an interesting oh, one man. next week. I'm going to post it so people can <laughs> yeah, watch the fireworks. That sounds, that sounds funny, Tom, when you end up getting somebody yeah. who totally disagrees with you. Now, why are people concerned about annuities? Because it makes it's, it makes sense that uh, it'd be great to be guaranteed income for life. But what, do people believe they can hedge on just mm -hmm. the stock market and stuff? Or what's the reasoning for annuities? Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, for the last 10 years, the market's almost gone straight up and people say, well, my broker's gotten me 30% a year. Yeah, how's that working out this year? You know, and, and and we're in for some tough sledding going forward. We're not at the bottom of the market yet. Don't think that, you know, and, and by the way, when we have these bear market rallies and the market goes up, 
that just encourages the Fed to raise harder and faster because he's got to get the inflation down because we got to get interest rates down eventually. And the only way we get interest rates down is to keep raising them to break the economy. And then when the economy breaks, then he's going to have to lower interest rates. And the whole reason is because of our debt. We're $31 trillion in debt right now. Well, at 1% interest, that's only $310 billion. We can handle that. 5% interest, it's $1.5 trillion, which is the same as adding the defense budget and Social Security together. And that's just interest on the debt. And we know the debt won't stay at $31 trillion. When it hits $50 trillion, that'll be $2.5 trillion just for interest on the debt. So they know if they don't get this inflation down and interest rates back down, we're in big trouble as a country, like huge trouble. Like taxes are going to have to double, triple for some people. I mean, it, it'll be a disaster. And so he's he wants to raise rates as much as he can now. So he breaks the economy. Then he can drop the rates and maybe the country can survive all this debt. Well, there's a there's a congressional budget office report out right now, Tom, that says uh, by 2030, I believe, uh, taxes are going to have to go up to 66 percent. Yeah, I mean, people well, you know, most most of your parents' lives, the tax rate was over the highest marginal tax rate was over 70 percent in right. the 1950s after World War II. It was over 90 percent. So we're in the we're in the high 30s now, 38, 39, whatever. It's going to have to go up into the 40s, 50s, maybe the 60s percent, and people don't understand that. You know, Tom, let me ask you a question. Now, the people you work with and they ask you questions, have have anybody ever told you that their advisors that have advised them about sequence returns risk, longevity risk? I find that people that I talk to, their financial advisor, which is stock and bond portfolio, never tell them about these risks in retirement. Yeah, and, and as we know, the market doesn't always go straight up. You know, the, the Japanese stock market, by the way, has been down for over 30 years. The European stock market has been down for over 20 years. In the United States, we had the lost decade between 2000 and 2010. I mean, do we forget these things? Markets do not go straight up. The reason the market has gone straight up for so long is because we had low interest rates and the Fed printed $5 trillion. Did, do you realize that 40% of all the money ever printed in this country was printed in the last two years, 40%. I mean, it's crazy. And 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 Milton Friedman, a top economist, uh, said that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary event. What does that mean? That means when you print money, it causes inflation. So we printed all this money and we gave stimmy checks and all this stuff and the market went straight up. Well, guess what? That was called quantitative easing. That's the printing of money. Now we're entering quantitative tightening which is the shredding of money. So now they got to put that five trillion through the shredder. Well, what's going to happen if the market went straight up when we printed five trillion? What do you think is going to happen when we shred five trillion? Mm -hmm. uh, nobody's even talking about QT. They're just talking about interest rates. But it's going to be the qu quantitative tightening that's going to probably strangle the economy even more than the interest rates. Wow. You know, Alan, the concern I have, and I'm going to ask Tom this question, is why why annuities when should you, you you buy an annuity what age do you recommend what's the reasoning for annuities especially if you know you're investing in the stock market you have certain life insurance products as, as again alan teaches on his program kind of explain why when do you start to buy annuities all right. So annuities are for money you want to have after 59 and a half. So I'm OK with almost anybody of any age buying an annuity as long as they know that's their retirement money. That's not for the down payment on a house. It's not for a kid's college education. It's not for saving up for a new car or new house. That is not what an annuity for. 
An annuity is there to guarantee you will never, ever run out of money in retirement. And by the way, annuities have been around for thousands of years. People don't know this, but the Roman Empire issued it because, see, running out of money is not a new concern. Running out of money has been the number one concern ever been people and there's been money. So it's not a new concern. Um, you know, even uh, in the book Sense and Sensibility uh, that was written in 1811, there's a whole section in there on how the beauty is so powerful. So and, and back in the day, back in the 1700s, 1600s, 1800s, Nobody cared about how much money you had. It was how much income do you have? You were you were considered wealthy if you had income coming in. And that that's what they looked at was income, not assets. And somehow it got all turned around. And in retirement, your assets literally mean nothing. What matters is how much income do you have? And if you just key retirement risk off the table, things like longevity risk, things like market risk, things like sequence of returns risk, things like higher taxes, inflation, long-term care. Those are all big risks in retirement. And you want to, so I say the two most important things, you want to have increasing income for the rest of your life. And it's best if it's increasing tax-free income. I've converted most of my IRAs and 401ks to Roth. I've moved more of my per wealth to cash value life insurance because multiple sources of tax-free income. So increasing tax-free income for the rest of your life. And then it's about management. What happens if you live alone? Well, I early. What happens if you need long-term care? What happens if taxes go up to 60%? What happens if the market crashes and stays down for 20 years? And under any of those circumstances, my retirement's gonna be fine. I'm not just talking the talk, I'm walking the walk. I'm 75% retired right now. And I've got 11 annuities, I got income coming in, and I, you know, I'm playing golf, I'm having the time of my life. Well, Tom, that's exactly right. That's what I try, try, to, try to tell people. It's not, you know, I, I, can, uh, I can show you how to have a, a great secure, uh, retirement. I'm not going to make you rich, but I'm going to make sure you'll never run out of money. And they said, well, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, you've got to have guaranteed income in your life and your retirement. And uh, it's just amazing to me. And one of the things you, you know, you talk about replace your, your bond portfolio with cash value annuities, annuities, fixed and fixed index, because it will outperform any other scenario that you, that, what is that a $10,000 bet you have with people? Well, I, you know, Dr. Roger Ibbotson, did a study and he proved that a 60% stock for bond portfolio will underperform a 60% stock, 40% index annuity portfolio. The Wall Street Journal this year, the case for moving some bonds to, to annuities. I mean, that was in the Wall Street Journal. BlackRock, BlackRock's got trillions in the market and they say, Fixed indexed annuities are a great bond substitute. Barclays says move your bonds into fixed index annuities. I'm not making this stuff up. Ernst and Young just did a just did an, a whole white paper where they looked at all different investment options: ninety percent stock, ten percent bonds, eighty percent stock, twenty percent bonds, seventy percent stock, thirty percent bonds. You know, and then they put a life insurance to go to kids. They put annuities, and they found that the portfolios that included life insurance and annuities outperformed oh, the portfolios that just had investments. And I've been saying it for years and, it, you know, all the research shows it's true. Now you've got all of these people coming out saying at least move your bonds into, into annuities. And then even more. So the thing is that you said you can do it whenever you can. The difference with annuity, you can't touch to your 59, right? Is that correct? Or it well, I mean, there, there are ways to get it out prior to 50 and a half, but they're complicated. You don't want to do that. So, so, you you really want annuity money is for re retirement. It's not for when you're younger. It is for after 59 and a half. Yes, there are some exceptions. Yes, there's 72T, 72Q. There are ways to get money out 
prior to age 59 and a half without a penalty, but it's still going to be the gains would be taxable. So what, what I like to see is that people really use the annuity for retirement. You can use mutual funds, ETFs and things for before retirement. Well, Tom, something else that, that people don't know about. Uh, you know, I, I did a short video on this uh, oh, a couple of weeks ago, but you only need to have approximately two thirds of the money in a fixed indexed annuity that you have in a stock portfolio to give you the same distribution. Like at a 4% distribution rate uh, out of a million dollar stock portfolio is $40,000 a year. Well, you don't even need approximately $650,000 to give you the same same money. And that's guaranteed for life. You don't get that with a stock portfolio. That's right. And that was that was in the Wall Street Journal almost 10 or 12 years ago that they said you can retire with 60% of the money that a normal person would if they're dealing with a broker. Like if you have a million dollars down at Merrill Lynch, 600000 in an annuity will provide the same amount of income as a million dollars down at one of the brokerage firms. And it has to do everything with the, the secret sauce of annuities is the mortality credits because every check you get from an insurance company is composed of three parts. Part number one is principal. Anybody can give you principal. Part number two is interest or investment gain. Anybody can give that to you, but only an insurance company can manufacture that third ingredient, the mortality credits. It's extra money from the risk pool. The older you are and the longer you live, the more these mortalities you get paid. And what math and science shows is that if you're retired and you don't have any mortality credits in your portfolio, your portfolio is suboptimal. It's less than what it could or what it should be. And most of the brokers out there are not are not putting mortality credits in the portfolio. They're not protecting against long-term care, not using life insurance as the most efficient way to pass wealth. See, I got four kids. And one of the reasons people don't enjoy their their retirements is they think they got to leave their kids some money. Oh, we got to leave some money to Johnny and Susie. We got to leave some money to Johnny and Susie. I tell people all the time, don't leave your kids money. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to spend your money. Leave them life insurance because you can do that for pennies on the dollar. So today, my wife and I were sitting around saying, how much should we leave the kids? My wife said, I don't know. What do you think? I said, well, if we bought a $1 million second to die life insurance policy, name the four kids beneficiary, when we're both gone, they're going to get a million dollars tax-free. That's 250000 wow. a piece tax-free uh, plus whatever's left over. I said, let's start there. So we bought a $1 million second to die life insurance policy, name the four kids beneficiary. That policy is completely paid up. Do you know what the total cost of that million dollar policy was? 150,000. So now think about this. For 15 cents on the dollar, we get to transfer a million dollars tax-free to our kids. But here's the best part. Who gets to spend the other 850,000? We do. So, you know, an easy thing to do is just ask the client, hey, how much are you planning on leaving your kids? And most of the time, they no, whatever's left over. I say, no, give me an idea. 10,000, 100,000, a million. Just give me an idea. Well, 100,000, got three kids. You run a dollar life insurance illustration and you show them for pennies on the dollar you can leave three hundred thousand and spend the rest so i mean if people would just learn some simple techniques that's how you get the most for the least in retirement because that's what it's all about there's no dress rehearsal there's no second chance we got to get it right the first time and that's what i write about that's what i speak about i sell no financial products whatsoever i buy them i own them but i don't sell them so that's crazy, Tom. And uh, when I'm hearing this stuff, I'm blown away because you're, you're the education, Alan. And now I'm understanding even more. Look out with us in the podcast in the next couple of weeks because I'm seeing this more and more and understanding Alan's religion. And it makes complete sense. Why would you want to leave your house, leave certain things 
spend your money and then leave it in a life insurance policy and invest in certain life insurance policies. Then the kids get paid off and you die. And then basically you're not going to have to deal with all these things of distribution and all the, all the kids fighting and bickering over stuff. It's right there. It's black and white and you enjoy your life. A lot of people save their money saying I'm saving it for my kids instead of going and living and enjoying the retirement. Am I right, Tom? Yeah. And that's why, you know, my first book was titled Paychecks and Playchecks, because most people are, don't have enough playchecks so they can't enjoy their life. I've got paychecks and playchecks coming in. So I'm out playing. I play golf four to five days a week. I'm playing pickleball two to three days a week. I won the club championship in 2020 at my club at 58. And I'm playing in their 30s and 40s. I'm the current senior club champion. I mean, I'm having the time of my life. I feel like I'm a kid at camp, all right? And that's the way retirement's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be drudgery. It's not supposed to be boring. It's supposed to be fun and exciting. My wife and I are going on a Panama Canal cruise because that's on my bucket list. And then then we do something on her bucket list and we do something on my bucket and, and we're having fun with it. And But we can do it because we've got the paychecks and paychecks coming in. And we've already got the, the life insurance to go to the kids. So we don't have to worry about leaving the kids. There'll, there'll be plenty for them. They'll get plenty. I'm not worried about them. But I'm not going to live a diminished retirement. So my kids, you know, I always tell people, you know, when I, when I was an advisor, I'd say, wait a minute. You told me when you retired, you're going to join the country club. You're going to buy a new boat. You're going to go see the world. Have you done that yet? They'd say, no, the market's so volatile. Interest rates are low. Bitcoin crash. They're living this just in case, just in case, just in case retirement. So they don't touch their money. They don't touch their money. They don't touch their money. Then they die. Then what happens? Well, it goes to the kids. What do the kids do with it? Oh, they join a country club. They buy a boat. They go see the world. And I tell people, I want you to join a country club. I want you to see the world. I don't want you to live a just in case retirement. If you just follow the simple principles of paychecks and paychecks or don't worry happy and alan i think tomorrow we got a big, big webinar going on uh that that they can see me do the presentation right yeah yep exactly um uh, i mean tom what you've taught me over these years uh between what what Rao's taught me um uh dan excuse me uh, david mcknight uh, i'm gonna have him on here next week but uh i i really so Thank you so much for coming on the webinar today uh, and the, the podcast today and, and telling people out there because they need to be educated. People are not educated on the financial aspects that the wealthy use all the time. Yeah. And what's worse is they get bad information from guys like Ken Fisher, Dave Ramsey. And I'm not against Dave Ramsey when he says, get out of debt, cut up your credit. I'm not against that. But when he no. says only buy term insurance, that's ridiculous. Yeah, Less right. than 2% of term policies ever pay a death claim. Term can't be used to leave a legacy to your kids. Term can't be used for business insurance. Term can't be used for estate planning. I can give you a whole bunch of ways that the term can't be used. Now, term is fine when you're young and your paycheck is small and you got a big family, you want to have protection. That's why you use term. But then he says, oh, well, you need it when you're older. You're going to that wrong just like that. Who buys the biggest policies? Old rich people do. And so if Dave Ramsey was right, old rich people wouldn't buy any policies. No, instead, they buy the biggest policies. Right. Tom, this stuff, and, I, and Alan, I know you have another question for Tom, and uh, I'm sure the webinar tomorrow is going to be tremendous. Uh, go ahead, Alan, and I wanna, I, I'm going to ask Tom one more question after that. Well, I, I like the way, Tom, I like the way you explain uh, – how annuities work. You got the, the four ladies or five ladies go to Las Vegas each year. Can you explain that real quick? Yeah, well, that's explaining the mortality credit. Right. So people say, well, what are these mortality credits? I say, well, let me tell you a story. Uh, 90 year old ladies that go on vacation every year. And one year, one said, hey, 
Let's each put a hundred bucks in this mason jar. Well, then next year when we go on vacation, we'll take the jar with us. And those of us who are still alive, we'll split the money. And they said, Helen, that great idea. So you got five-year-old ladies, they each put a hundred bucks in the mason jar. They see the jar. What do you think happened the next year? <laughs> Where they put the jar. No, no ladies died. So now four ladies open up the jar. They split the $500. They each get $125. Now that was a 25% rate of in 12 months. I got two questions. How much of that money was invested in the stock market? Zero. What interest rate did it earn that jars? 25% with no money in the market, no interest rate, because they got paid mortality credits. So ladies look at this. They look at their brokerage account. They said, this is a pretty good deal. I'm going to put a back jar, seal it back up, and do it again. So they decided to let it ride. The next one, more lady died. So now three ladies open up the jar. They get to split the $500. They each get $167. That was a 67% return in two years. No money in the market, no interest rate. It was all due tality credit. So then I get people say, yeah, but Tom, you know, my clients don't want their money to disappear when they die. Well, do they have to have the money disappear when they die? No, you can do a joint life with your spouse, joint life with your five-year-old grandchild. This thing can last for a hundred years. So, you know, it just depends. The more guarantees you put on, the lower the paycheck. That You want a higher paycheck, then you're going to have lower guarantees. It's up to you. The insurance company doesn't care. I don't care. Alan doesn't care which option you pick. Uh, but you can have guarantees on your money that even if you die, the money goes to family. You know, it's just, but those mortality credits are, the secret sauce of annuities. That's the one thing that you can't get from stocks or bonds or crypto or real estate. They don't pay mortality credits. Only a life insurance company can manufacture mortality credits. Well, Tom, uh, I just want to say one thing. I'm, I'm retired military. I retired back in 93 as a Black Hawk instructor pilot. And I, I salute you for your service to the country also. And uh, I, we, we're on a mission. We need to educate people because they're not educated on everything that goes on out there in the financial world. And, and it's definitely uh, it's affecting them and not in a good way. Yeah. And, and look what's going to happen now. I mean, they're all struggling. Uh, the market's down. It's going to go down further and it could be very painful for the next. It could it, this thing could last years. You know, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, he's got to get he's got to get inflation down or or everything blows up because we're $31 trillion in debt and, and the interest on that debt, you're going to hear more about debt servicing costs. And that that's, that's a big risk right now. But I think Neil had another question. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my question is how you got to this point is, you know, a successful author and choosing that direction than selling the products. You're basically just the expert when it comes to this. Where did you come up with that idea? Is that well, it was kind of a process. So what happened was I was an advisor at MetLife and I was there for eight years and, and I, I made MDRT my first year. I'm like 27 years old and I'm doing really well. So th then I made it again and I made it again. So now all the other people were asking, Tom, what do you do? What do you do? So I had this one hour talk. Here's how I prospect. Here's what I do. Here's how I do this. Here's how I do this. Here's a And so I went around office to office to office and doing these talks. And then they said, well, we got a big regional meeting. Will you come speak? So I did that. And then they put me in 1992. They put me in the main platform in Maui. Uh, and and I gave a presentation. There are people from the home office that said, man, we got to get you uh, into. So I became the national marketing manager for variable life insurance. I went around the country and in one year we took the sales from 28 million to 105 million. Then MetLife started demutualizing and doing some crazy stuff. And at the time, New York Life was reaching out to me. So I went to New York Life. 
I started out as an annuity wholesaler. I got promoted to regional manager, national manager. Then I went to the home office, you know, assistant vice president, corporate vice president, vice president, first vice president. All of a sudden, I'm one of the 50 top officers in the company. And I was kind of in charge of their retirement income push. And I had to take advisors who were selling sexy variable annuities and teach them about SPIAs and DIAs that are boring as can be. But you want to know what? New York Life still has a 40% market share in the SPIA and DIA market, uh, single premium media annuity and deferred income annuity market. So I learned a lot of things about mortality credits. I learned about payout rates. I, you know, I learned about risk management. And so when I retired from them in 2011, that's when I went out to like the whole world to teach them what I've been teaching at New York Life for 15 years. It's a good thing. It's that's the thing in retirement. Whenever you retire yeah. from your day job, you can create something like you created, Tom. When you agree, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I retired from the army in like 2004. I retired from New York in 2011, and you know now I'm 75% retired from from this job. But I, what what happened is funny. On Saturday, I got a call, a frantic call from a company that ha- is having a top producer meeting right here in Scottsdale, and their 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 opening speaker canceled at the last minute and they're saying no tom is there any chance you can come over and i looked at my calendar but believe it or not i had this morning open so i drove over to scottsdale delivered the whole presentation it went great and they were so thankful that i was able to do that so i mean look i i have fun doing this i just don't want to spend 200 days a year on the road anymore so i do a lot of virtual i do not want to do a bunch of in-person stuff anymore because i you know I, for 30 years i spent 200 nights a year on the road and yeah. it's just not where i want to spend my life Any other questions, Alan? This is such a great information from Tom. Oh, I, I could go on and on for, uh, with uh, questions for Tom, but you know, this, uh, his time is very valuable. And I, again, Tom, I just want to thank you for coming on my podcast. Uh, I, I continue to get your books. In fact, uh, I've got book covers coming to me here shortly for uh, Paychecks and Playchecks. uh, We're doing several seminars. I'm doing several seminars with you coming up. We're doing a couple. Don't worry. Retire happy. We're going to we're doing a who wants to be a millionaire. So if if they want to watch this, no charge for it. I don't sell anything. You should just come and watch it. It, It'll be done in an hour or less than an hour. And and I I think you'll get some great information. And I've got I've got all those links that are being sent out to everyone. If anyone wants to, they can contact me at strategicwealth0gmail.com or call me at 910-551-1046, and I'll send them the link. And then we'll have it, we'll air it on syndication tomorrow, Alan, on my radio show, uh, the nationally syndicated radio show. And if you checked it out, Tom, I got a huge following and big celebrities. And Alan's been interviewing celebrities. You've been enjoying that, right, Alan? Oh, yeah. A lot of people. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot. It's really awesome. interesting. Ask any question to a celebrity. Can you believe you, that's what I give opportunities like Alan, uh, and it, they really enjoy it. So I appreciate you meeting you, Tom. And you taught me some stuff, man. Now I'm more and more on board to looking towards my retirement. I turned 50 January 7th, and Alan's teaching me also learning the specifics that we can be our own banker till it's time close to retirement. And that's yep. a huge thing to teach people. Because guess what? Especially if you're a business owner, you know I, I I have a life I have a life insurance policy. It's a 12 pay life insurance policy. My premium is two hundred twenty six thousand dollars a year. I seriously believe this, and and people think that's crazy, but they're the ones that think that life insurance is a cost. I know it's not a cost. It's an asset on my balance sheet. Every penny I put in there is there for me plus more. And and I get to take it out tax free. And I'm pretty quick, pretty soon going to flip the switch 
And that thing is going to send me somewhere between 10 and 15,000 a month for the rest of my life tax free. And I think if you can have increasing tax free income for the rest of your life and you manage those risks in retirement, you're going to have a happy and successful retirement. It's really all about risk management and having increasing income for the rest of your life. So, Tom, best place to find you. Where can we go? Oh, I'm pretty simple. TomHagna.com. I have a free YouTube channel that's got hundreds of videos there. I I, I offer for some free webinars at TomHagna.com forward slash webinars. But my my best advice is to is to follow Alan and and attend some of the seminars I'm doing with him because I'm doing some specific webinars with him, and that'd be a great place. Uh, for people to jump on and any, you know, even if you can't get live register and might be able to get you a replay if, if necessary, but we're, we're doing them live and you can ask me questions. We're going to have Q and a time and everything. So, I mean, this is your, to, to ask questions. If, if, if your followers want to want to ask questions of me. All right. We appreciate it, Tom. Any other questions, Alan? No, not right now, but there will be in the future. I'm sure tomorrow. I can be a fly on the wall of that. Everyone needs to check it out. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks, Alan. And that was Strategic Wealth Strategies with Alan Porter, guys. Take care.